Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with Val Hughes of the Value Guys. My name is Val Hughes. I'm a 30-year Wall Street veteran. I've had to take on a secret identity and go underground in order to provide you with my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen my face on TV. You've seen me quoted in the news. But my bosses would never allow my unfiltered views on the air, so I've disguised my voice and they'll never know. This week, we look at the February 12, 2010 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey. Uh, but first, a couple caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, it's after work, after hours. Um, I'm a little late with the show this week. Uh, we had a holiday weekend here, and so um, I've just gotten carried away with just personal things. So it's Monday. And uh, so I'm sorry the show's a little late. A um, couple things on this week's show. First, a rant. And thankfully, I didn't have any ideas for a rant this week. So somebody wrote in, Mr. Jimmy Yucca. And um, I'm assuming that's a value guy's name. You know, like Val Hughes, values, you know, not my real name, etc. So I appreciate that. And so he's given me a good idea. Um, but first, I want to direct listeners to um, all the caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. This is our fifth year of doing shows. Uh, we give three decent, uh, medium ideas every week on the show. I've recently moved, so I've gone to a different format on the show. And write in and uh, tell me if you like it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing a rant about things that bother us each week, although... I learned last week it's the same couple things for me every week, taxes and, uh, you know, what else, um, politics, you know. Um, so thanks for writing in on that. And then um, I have three ideas out of each week's value line. I'm just kicking back after work. And this week, um, it's a little late in the day. It's been a whole day of, honestly, um, adult beverages. So I'm a little less well-prepared than I'd like to be. I did through, look through every stock in this week's issue, so I, ha I do have three decent ideas, and one's a little bit, um, well, they're all in, ad a couple are in advertising, which I think there's still an opportunity there because, um, you know, those income statements really haven't lifted, and yet they will, you know, other things are coming along. And then McGraw-Hill, which is a publisher and long-term listeners know I've been talking about newspapers for quite some time um, and um, have been wrong pretty much on all of them. So why am I dipping back into that area? I have no idea. But McGraw-Hill. Um, but first, my rant. Now, here's the rant. This was an idea from Jimmy Yucca, which, again, not his real name. <clears throat> he writes in, he said, what do you think about, uh, evidently, uh, a politician who I won't name. I don't want any partisan politics here on the show. But basically, and I have talked about this, when the government starts printing a lot of money, uh, you have to be concerned about inflation. Well, why is that? Is that if uh, the uh, dollars uh, in the money supply start to grow faster than the amount of goods, then naturally, in order to use up all that money supply, the goods will have to rise in price to, in effect, catch up to the money. Um, right now, you know, um, we are seeing a big expansion in the money supply, and, um, 
you know, I'm not sure I completely understand all of it. I'll just talk about it a little bit. I've been an analyst for 30 years. <clears throat> There's two publications I really look to. They're both out of the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. One is National Economic Trends, and one is National Monetary Trends. And if you're a student of the economy, I would make it a habit to look at these publications. Uh, they basically come out once a month, but now on the Internet they're updated you know, on a daily, weekly basis, and it's a great summary for everything that's going on. And you can always uh, go to the uh, source data on anything you may want. Um, I've always been a pretty careful student of the national economic trends, you know, GDP, output, income, um, you know, even interest rates, yield curves, cost of money, value of money, things like that, value of annuities, etc. When I go through the national monetary trends book, and I really, you know, maybe this is good, I'm anonymous right now, but a lot of the numbers in there, you know, I don't get. I don't know what they are, honestly. I'm not sure many people do. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure the Congress doesn't, and maybe that's the most important thing. They're the ones voting on this stuff. But I admit, I, I do glance through there, and for years and years at a, at a time, there's things in there that, uh, you know, just don't move like the monetary base. It's just like a like a, a line that goes across. It doesn't even seem like it's measuring anything except time going by. Um, the things you might look at, you know, M1 growth, M2 growth, growth in the monetary supply. I do think Milton Friedman was on to something, um, the idea that um, you want to grow the money supply at about the rate that um, you know, GDP grows or capacity grows. Um, so you, you don't have inflation um, overall. You sort of keep that in check. The dollar is worth a dollar. And then, you know, different industries are going to have what appears to be inflation based on the supply and demand in those industries and the rewards to entrepreneurs for investing capital and growing or shrinking capacity, you know, will allow those areas to uh, adjust themselves, you know, the invisible hand. But overall, <clears throat> particularly when governments start to have the ability to print money, uh, the question from Mr. Yucca was simply, you know, is there a risk of hyperinflation? And there was a politician, Ron Paul, talking about the risks of hyperinflation. So I went and looked at Mr. Paul's uh, concerns, and, you know, he seems like a politician that does uh, have a little more interest than normal in uh, economic policy, and he's probably gone through uh, this national monetary trends. But when I go in there, here's what I see. And again, I don't, I don't get this area. I'm not an economist. But I see a lot of series starting to jump around. The biggest one is the monetary base, which looks flat forever, was up 350 to 400 percent in the third quarter of 08. And I don't know exactly what that means, but um, it's certainly different than the last 20 years that was flatlined. So that catches my attention. If anyone knows what that means, they should write in. Then the next quarter, it's down, at an, and this is an annual rate, of 100%. Again, I'm just trying to value stocks. So I'm looking at this going, well, geez, that's, again, it, it creates a question to someone who knows, a banker perhaps. What the heck is that? Um Again, I have talked to bankers about this, and honestly, many commercial bankers don't exactly know. Um, I saw Henry Paulson and Alan Greenspan on Meet the Press last week 
honestly, I'm sure privately they can explain these sorts of things. They don't seem to know, at least publicly, how to explain what's going on. It strikes me that what is the reaction in you're seeing there is that people simply stopped spending money. So what's called velocity, the um, uh, the propensity for people to spend cash stopped, and so uh, the government had to just pump a lot of money. I'm not sure. Uh, incentives to the banks to loan money, of course, are charge them very little. Um, they can cut rates to their customers, still make a big spread. Obviously, banks have a lot of incentive to loan right now. Um, at the same time, they're uh, kicking up their uh, credit quality requirements. So these numbers are a little confusing. Um, is there a risk of hyperinflation? One of the things I do recall, um, you know, from my education, but also from observation, is that there's something called expectation about inflation. So as I expect inflation for next year, my demand for a return on an investment is going to go up commensurate with that expectation, and then the value of that thing's going to go down. Um, and so we're, you know, we're seeing levels of interest rates generally that don't suggest the expectation of hyperinflation at this point. Um, I will say that uh, in, you know, the past sources of hyperinflation are governments printing money that nobody knows about. Nowadays, we more, you know, we know about it a little bit. Um, also, in order to create a sense of hyperinflation, you have to have um, people paying prices that allow the uh, the cycle to continue. So it's one thing for someone to raise their prices. Um, I'm only going to pay that if I feel concerned that a few days later the prices will be even higher. If I can go on the internet and check prices, and there's still people who believe in volume versus margin per unit, what have you, then you know there's a, a damper on those sorts of um, you know, irrational cycles just in the source of information from the internet. Um, long-term treasuries right now, uh, 10 years, the number I have, it's just, you know, it's, it's near 4%. Uh, that doesn't suggest concern for long-term inflation. And in a world where you have information available everywhere, uh, I really think that the rational expectations um, theory at least for interest rates and expectations for inflation, kind of holds. You know, it's hard to have a secret from everyone in the world who's connected to the Internet uh, because there's a lot of, uh, you know, bankers and high-level government officials and people like that who connect in and can see the price of money and, you know, see it in real time. So we're a little bit protected. The other thing I think that protects us from hyperinflation um, is the uh, evolution of uh, money market funds where, you know, as prices of goods starts to rise, there's a lot of people who, um, you know, will give off or uh, I say offset the, the, the risk of, you know, price increases in a good to earn that, um, that return in a money market. So when my bread starts going up, or not bread, I need bread today, but when when things that I can put off, so cars or clothes or um, for municipal uh, budgets, uh, roads, when these things start to go up um, at rates that are exceeded by short-term uh, you know, money market funds, then those decisions will be made to move money into financial markets to earn those returns, and the demand for goods will fall, and then prices will have to fall because demand curves ultimately went out. So again, information 
and I'm just, this isn't really a rant, it's more of a an answer to a question. I don't think we're at risk for hyperinflation. The number that I take away, you know, as concerned as I am about the giant um, uh, spending uh, and the the increases in the debt, et cetera, I mean, I could create a rant on that, I probably should, but, you know, what's going to happen is reality is going to kick in, and we have the vote. I did have a rant a couple of weeks ago about we should vote for what the tax rate is, and then... You know, just like you see states having to make tough choices about spending versus income, the federal government right now is really the only uh, political entity that can print its own money, and it probably should have that right for emergencies, but I think uh, there are going to be forces at work, mainly individuals who don't want to see their tax rates go up so much, um, are, are going to start imposing limits on taxation, and I was... Uh, paging through the actually the U.S. Constitution the other day and noticed that um, there are some rules in the Constitution about people's right to retain those things that they create or invent. You know, it really seems about what created the U.S. Trademark and Patent Office, but if you're, uh, you know, if, if you're in a unique craft and you're creating things, um, the, the, the law doesn't say anything about trademark or patent. It just says that craftsmen and creators should enjoy uh, the rights to the earnings, exclusive rights to the earnings of those works. It doesn't say anything about um, except for taxes. So, you know, I think that as total tax burdens move toward 50%, a lot of this is going to take care of itself in the sense that spending will come down, um, demand will come down, prices will come down. Right now, the money supply, in terms of M2 and M1, the numbers that I believe drive expectations in financial markets for inflation, are running uh, year over year. Um, a few months, a few quarters ago, in M2 was about plus 9%. Now it's around zero, uh, so that's coming down. M1 was running around 20%, you know, three quarters ago, and now um, it's around 6%. So to the extent that those things are driving expectations not only in financial markets but in labor negotiations and expectations for compensation, uh, and we have some sort of rational expectations in financial um, money markets, I think we're going to be okay on uh, hyperinflation. I do not think we're going to have hyperinflation. Um, there, Okay. There. Was that a rant? I don't know. I'm sorry. I've used up a lot of time. Um, okay. Let me get to three good ideas this week. And again, thank you, Mr. Um, Jimmy Yucca, for that question about my thoughts on hyperinflation. Um, the other thing I'd say is if you do have a fear of hyperinflation, and, you know, this is entertainment purposes only, the U.S. Treasury does sell inflation-protected securities, and you can buy those, and then you earn a real rate of, you know, maybe 2.5%, 3%, which still doubles over, what, 20 years or something in real terms? So that's pretty good. All right, for those of you that have listened this far into the show, and who knows why you might have, uh, I've got three decent ideas this week from this week's Value Line Investment Survey. Um, McGraw-Hill, a publisher. Uh, Hart Hanks, an advertiser, and Value Click, which I never really spent any time on in the past, um, was ready to pass by and it caught my eye. Okay, first up, McGraw-Hill, MHP, page 2356. 
Uh, what I'm attracted to here is simply uh, from 30,000 feet, the first thing I notice is it's trading at a discount multiple, and it's got years and years of terrific returns on capital and returns on equity. Uh, the debt-to-capital ratio looks high on first glance, 40%, but their operating margins are so high, consistently over 20% for 10 or 15 years, most recently in the mid-20s, that um, their their interest expense is really well covered. In fact, um, let's see, long-term interest is around $70 million. And operating income um, is going to be um, around a billion seven, so it's covered, you know, twenty times, um, even with that high debt to capital. Uh, so I like that very much. Um, the debt to capital also has to be measured. You have to look at the debt to market cap in the sense of the you know the liquid debt value to the liquid equity value. Uh, cap oftentimes includes. Uh, when you look at a sheer debt-to-capital ratio, you're taking the value of the debt, which oftentimes reflects kind of a market value, you know, plus or minus a little bit anyway. Um, but the equity you're adding in, it's book equity, and most companies are trading at multiples of book. Obviously not all. So another wor you know worthwhile ratio is just to look at debt-to-market cap or enterprise value. And in this case, the market cap, shares times the price, uh, is about uh, 11 billion debt 1 billion so again if we were buying the whole company the rights to all the cash flow we'd have to pay you know 1.2 billion for the debt 11 billion for the equity that tells you a little about the risk of the debt as well and they do have nearly a billion dollars in cash so the enterprise value is nearly the same as the market value 11.2 billion and um, the operating earnings, according to Value Line, are running at 24% of a $6 billion sales number. So that's about a billion five. And on $11.5 in enterprise value, that's a seven multiple. So seven times, uh, you know, cash operating earnings or EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Seven times, if I take one over seven as my cash return, that's going to be about 14%. Um, now, one of the things that seems different here about McGraw-Hill versus all the other publishers I've recommended wrongly for many years, most of which were newspapers, these guys have a couple markets that are pretty interesting. So, you know, the valuation and the stats are one thing, but is it sustainable? Well, you just got to think about this a little bit. What do they do? They sell financial, educational, and business information. So, you know, Standard & Poor's. They, you know, got into a little trouble over the last few years with their bond rating business. But obviously, the, you know, that's fallen out. The whatever, you know, wherever that's going, obviously not all the municipal bonds are going to care to be bond rated, rated anymore. And I think their um, requirement for um, many government bonds to be rated is slipping away. So there's some, you know... Um, annuity there that could be slipping, but the stock's reflecting that. It was at $72 a share in 07. It's at 34 today. Admittedly, you could have paid 17 back toward the beginning of 09, but you know, a lot of <laughs> a lot of stocks have been up five, six, tenfold since that time, just on the sheer fear of of you know, no banks ever loaning the dollar again, and we're certainly off those 
uh, scary time lows. But at uh, 34, we're still, you know, half the old high, and sales are beginning to approach the levels of that time. They have divested a couple things, which tells me something. Um, they have Standard & Poor's and McGraw-Hill, so business markets, educational markets. Evidently, they have a pretty decent business in high school and uh, and college book markets, but they divested Business Week. You know, that's a very competitive market, um, and they're getting out of it. According to the value line, they also own Aviation Week. You know, maybe that's a little bit more unique, not as... Uh, uh, competitive for aviation-related stories versus business stories. I think Business Week might have been bought by Bloomberg. So, you know, that makes sense. But the markets they're left in, education and business, you know, I think these are pretty stable markets. Um, metrics of performance are somewhat hard to measure in the short term. It's not an ROI sell by any means. And so sales uh, forces are important. You can tell by the high margins that there's something proprietary going on, and it simply could be that the barriers to, you know, to exit or or to entry are very high. You know, you need years of relationship building and at the highest levels of corporate and uh, educational markets. And then the the exit barriers are high, and that the reluctance of big organizations to swap out all their educational material is very high because, you know, maybe you're on some type of standard that you're used to or you have all kinds of training materials and you could have whole procedures built around things you've learned here. So I think once you're in, you're in. The returns on capital in past years has been up in the upper 20s and, again, very little debt on a coverage basis or debt-to-market value basis, so I like that very much. Um, they have, uh, looks like some other assets they could harvest in here over time. Value Line just mentions they own um, four television stations. Uh, they own some retail, juvenile retail publishing. Um, you know, who knows? There's some other stuff in here that's probably got some value. And when I read through some of the details here on Value Line, um, you know, it looks like this credit rating business, which I'm not sure exactly how much of their um, total income that represents value line says it's uh, 22 percent of their revenue is financial services um you know i don't know 72 percent of their income is financial services so it could be weighted toward that but i think that's in the stock uh, the valuation at seven times looks attractive you will get some growth i'm left with kind of a 14 percent return cash on cash plus a you know low mid single digit you know, growth rate. So I'm in the 20% range. And, um, you know, I like the stability. I like the niches that they're in. And ultimately, you know, maybe something like this gets bought out by some giant company. Um, not that this isn't big at 11 billion, but it's not amongst the biggest anymore. So that's McGraw-Hill, page 2356. Next up, Hart uh, Hanks, page 2371, ticker HHS. I have talked about these guys before. Uh, this is another uh, advertising-related firm. They do uh, direct marketing and shopper advertising. So they do the the shopper, uh, you know, uh, the penny saver, the flyer, things like that. And they get to people's houses. And what they do is they generate leads for people. So there's magazines and you know shoppers dropped off with their own physical distribution. 
And then to the extent that people respond to offers and contests and things like that, they gather names. Now, I do know that the response rates to general lists has been falling over the years. And these are one of the guys that is generating sort of new names amongst the first to find out uh, changes in behavior um, and because they're mining for their own names, grassroots, house by house, and I think that has value. The stock took a huge hit. The old high here was 31. The stock's uh, on value line 1099. The close was uh, Friday was 11.95, and the old high was I just said 31 something. So um, you know clearly there's a lot that's come out of the stock. Revenues are. About uh, 25% lower than they were at that time. Stock down 50%. Um, returns on capital, all those kinds of things are down, obviously. But these guys have a leveraged um, relationship with total advertising sales in that, you know, uh, you're not going to stop long-term um, brand building in mainstream media, but you might stop this sort of list building activity that goes on. And so um, I think that they've been in a period of you know, you know major stresses on their core business, and that's going to ultimately here unwind. You have to believe, and I do, I guess. You don't have to. Maybe I do. Um, that, And I've done the study, so that gives me some conviction, that over time, and I'm talking 100 years of data, I did the study a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago, but it was a very stable um, relationship uh, to corporate sales of about 5%. So when you're below that, you're just, you know, you're just cutting back at the moment. Everyone understands that there's ROI associated with advertising and brand building, in part because if you don't do it, uh, someone else will, and you'll lose share of mind. So it's as much a defensive response as anything else. You're not going to have a situation where people are going to sit back and go, you know, advertising, that's a thing of the past, because you're, the other guy won't think that, and then you've just lost half your market share, um, particularly in consumer markets, where at the core a lot of things are commodities. So it's about share of mind, and these guys are helping people uh, do that. As a result of the fear... The stock right now is sitting at six times EBITDA. So again, what that says to me is I can buy the whole company, the stock, so shares times the price and the debt, and uh, and then I get the rights to all the cash flow. Right now, of course, value line, who knows? Their estimates could be off, but they're showing a pretty big hit to revenue in 09, and that number is probably pretty well known already and a decent recovery next year toward a billion dollars in sales, who knows, plus or minus a year, what have you. 15% uh, operating margin on a billion, that's $150 million. And I've got $900 million in enterprise value, that's six times. So again, we're billionaires, we buy the company for $900 billion or million in cash, we get $150 million in cash flow, um, that's 16% on our cash. Where are you getting that? Nowhere. And the thing I like about this business is even in this difficult time, their operating margin is still running 14%. That tells me something's proprietary. And what it is, in my opinion, is there's just not that many people you can call that have credibility that can deliver you fresh names from, uh, from, from homes versus it's a lot of people that can rent you a list 
um, you know, from a magazine or from a paper route or from new babies being born or what have you. These guys are combing neighborhoods, um, getting, um, you know, responses to things they've hung on a door, I think, many times, or that people picked up at the local 7-Eleven or what have you. So um, I think that uh, their unique position uh, with that capability is what drives this operating margin. And admittedly, their uh, returns are low here, but during the sort of decent times, uh, they, they they rolled right through 2001 with no issue, running in the low mid-teens on total return on capital, and now they're at 9%. They're not losing money, ladies and gentlemen. I don't see any losses rolling through here. Um, yeah, they're a little impaired. They have a lot of flexibility in their cost structure, I'm sure, with a big component related to sales. So, you know, listen, you don't sell. There's no expense associated with that. One of the things I like, and I I think maybe it was last week, there was a big uh, industrial business component, and I do tend to like those sorts of companies when they have something proprietary, but a lot of times their capital spending is so heavy uh, or their R&D is so heavy to keep their edge that you burn up some of your cash flow there. Here, um, you know, their cash flow per share, a buck thirty-five, capital spending twenty-five cents. I mean, they just don't need earnings, eighty cents, capital spending twenty-five cents per share. This is in a difficult period where revenues are down thirty percent. So you're just never going to get stressed here on a cash flow basis, and I like that uh, very much. They're paying. Um, a full tax rate, so there's no, you know, nothing odd going on there. And the bulk of Value Line's comments talk about how bad it's been on the top line, how um, there's some signs of a sustainable recovery, but advertising, you know, may take more time to come around. Well, it will. It will. But to the extent that there's still a little bit of fear in that, um, there's an opportunity. I note that the stock did recover off the lows, but it's sort of, you know, back down off its, uh, you know, post-crash high of uh, the fall of '09. It got up to 14.50. It's back here at 12 bucks. Looks like a pretty good deal. Um, there is some debt here. Again, you know, Value Line mentions it, 250 million. Uh, it's which is a 35% debt to capital. You know, that lo- looks high, but um, with 150 million in operating cash flow. That's a year and a half of cash, and I've got it paid down. So that's pretty uh, reasonable. Um, What else can I tell you here? Oh, officers and directors own 42%. So I like that a lot. Obviously, their interests line up with ours. So Hart Hanks, ticker HHS, page 2371. And finally, a stock I'm completely unfamiliar with, even less familiar with than I was with that one called ValueClick, VCLK, page 2377. Um, You know, my theme on this, I'll tell you what they do first. They are a worldwide online marketing services company. They offer a suite of products and services that enable marketers to advertise and sell their products through various online marketing channels. I'm just reading value line there. Um, my th- and, and the stock's been crushed. Uh, the high in 07 was 36.70 per share. Right now it's at 9.20. But again, just like I was saying on Hart Hanks, the revenue 
right now is approaching the level it was when the stock was at 37. And quite likely, I would say almost certainly, uh, the revenues are going to blow through that old high over the next five years. I don't know when, who would, but here's the theme. Um, online advertising, is it growing? Um, yes, it's growing. It's growing in two ways. Not only is the percentage of information that consumers get from the you know from internet advertising growing as a percent of the total and they respond to surveys in that way um, but um, the amount of the number of impressions that advertisers are putting up um, as a percentage of their total uh, impressions between internet and non-internet are also growing um, the thing that's not growing so much but its opportunity is that the uh, cost or the, the the price, the value per impression on the internet has still not caught up on average to where it is in print, in may, namely magazines uh, and even newspapers for that matter, um, and, and certainly television. Although in some of the highest value um, internet advertising, it is approaching television. Um, you know, I didn't do CBS this week, but they seem to know how to capture revenue on the internet with their existing content it's you know i own that it's getting a little pricey still interesting but i passed up on that to do value click but it's because it's more of a direct um uh you know way to um get involved in the growth in internet advertising they're involved as a market share of total internet advertising and i'm guessing just it's a vague description here but but through placement, you know, they've got relationships with big advertising firms that want to get a message out. They can deliver up demographics and psychographics by different through different medium on the Internet. And they just have big, you know, advertisers that can plug in. I want to do 20% of my impressions on the Internet. Boom, I'm with ValueClick. Boom, they distribute me through all the various thousands of websites where they have relationships. And all those websites pay a little fee to ValueClick. And maybe uh, the big advertiser pays a little fee to value click and they get paid on both sides. You know, who knows? I don't. But what I would say is that the operating margin here in the short history of the company, once they got to scale in the mid-2004, 2005, they were doing 26, 27, 28% operating margin. Value line's predicting 29% this year, 30% next year. There's something proprietary, whether it's skill set, uh, whether it's... Uh, you know, uh, access to big firms and not that many, you know, Internet-related companies get that access. You know, I don't know. But I know that online's growing, the value online is growing, and it's quite likely that during this period, if it's really been tough on everyone, their market share of that's growing. And so when you get out on the other end a few years from now, um, every metric's growing, and basically uh, you've paid a market cap right now of 800 and I guess it's right now uh, 700 million enterprise value, which is just off the radar for most people. So it's an interesting combination here for me uh, to look at. I don't own it. I haven't spent time on it. But, you know, they look like they have a model that is um, part of what the future will be in advertising. Their skill set's only getting better. Their revenues are stable during a tough period. Their margins are high. Returns on capital, 
um, have been rising during a difficult period. They've bought stock back, so someone reflects the underlying value here. Someone understands it uh, in management. And, uh, and, and what's the valuation? Well, um, according to value line, well, I can do the math myself. The stock's at 9.20 a share. There's 87 million shares. That's about 700 million or something. I'm not actually doing the math. I'm guessing. Um, I'm sorry, it's not. It's about 800 million. And then they've got um, no debt, so I like that. And they got 150 million in cash. So I'm going to take the 800 million, subtract 150. That gives me 650 in enterprise value. Again, that's the price we'd have to pay to own all the stock, all the debt, have the right to the cash flow. And according to Value Line, they're going to do around $500 million in revenue. That's a number consistent with the last four or five years. It's no heroic estimate by any means. And a 30% operating margin on that, which we learned in a past show in Value Line, reflects sort of an earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. If you are looking through a company's annual report or 10K report, operating earnings uh, tends to have depreciation already subtracted out as a component of SG&A or cost of goods. But in value line, we know that it has not yet been subtracted. In fact, it's subtracted in the line just below operating margin in value line. I don't know exactly why they do that. But the point is, uh, I've got uh, EBITDA of around $150 million, and I've got enterprise value of $650 million. So that's some kind of you know, four and a half times or, what, 20-something, you know, per, uh, percent cash-on-cash cash return. And then I have to ask myself, is a company with no debt that's positioned to take advantage of growth in Internet advertising, will they have growing revenue? Uh, I'm going to say yes. It's probably GDP growth. You're going to get a nice snapback to normal advertising volumes over the next year or two as companies get more comfortable and then internet's going to gain share of total uh, and it's going to take it from television television's going to move on to the internet i was watching something on netflix today on the internet hooked up to my television i mean it's all coming together value value click looks well positioned so i'm going to recommend it uh, value click ticker vclk page 2377 oh um there are some comments here by value line i didn't really get into it basically things aren't that good right now okay that's my summary so that's uh that's the show for this week let's see i guess i did go on a little bit favorite stock this week um i'm gonna have to say value click if you can't tell by my uh just my passion on that one. Value click V C L K, and then remember um, to check out. I have been putting up a blog with summaries to these comments. If you don't, if you if you just don't want to be bothered taking notes during the actual show, um, just put down your pen. It's called ValueLineObserver.TheValueGuys.com. So there's a summary and check out all of our uh, bios, notes, etc. Caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. Thanks for listening, and everybody, see you next week.